Hello and welcome to this episode of the ESG Fitness Podcast. This is going to be a Q&A episode from the Commit to Six group. For those of you who don't know, where have you been? Commit to Six is my group slash one-to-one online coaching program designed to be the last diet that you ever need because once and for all, we are finally going to support you to make the changes that you need to make long term to maintain the results that you want. I know, amazing, right? And if you want to know more, you can head over to esgfitness.co.uk forward slash commit to six. And now I will get into the questions. So the first one is from Charlotte. She says, how to eat slash choose what to eat when you when you are eating out on holiday. Nine times out of 10, I tried to choose the healthier option, but sometimes you just want the burger. Such a great question. And honestly, if nine times out of 10, you're going for the healthier option, if you just have a burger one time out of 10, it's really not that bad. And what I will say is that knowing the calories on stuff, I know some people don't like calories on menus, but I just think it makes a lot of sense, right? And I'd quite like to know. It doesn't mean that I won't eat the burger. I just quite like to know what I'm consuming. I drew, I drew, I made, I spoke about, I don't know. Anyway, I was talking about an analogy for this the other day, and I think it's a really, it's going to blow me on trumpet, but I think it's a really good one. A lot of people kind of overcomplicate and add a lot of emotion into calories on menus, but you would never think, do you know what? Some people don't like seeing the price of clothes, so we're just not going to put any labels on anything. You just pick up what you want and then you get to the front desk and you pay. And you know what? If it's really expensive, you just have to pay it anyway because that's what you wanted. Like, it's, it's like shopping blind. Like, you don't want to do that, right? Much like, I want to know how much energy I'm putting in my body. It's, it's a pretty simple thing. And I think with the environment we live in now, it's it just makes a hell of a lot of sense. Like, even a salad can be over a thousand calories. And you're like, bloody hell, that's like more than half of my needs for the day like do I actually want to consume that and sometimes sometimes maybe I do and a lot of the time maybe I don't but I'd rather make the choice with the knowledge wow that wasn't an answer to the question the question was actually about eating out while on holiday um but I think that was the the crux of it is like choose your indulgences and freaking enjoy them but realize that if you have an indulgence every single day it's not an indulgence anymore you know, and realise, and actually I can't remember off top, the top of my head who this was, but I had a one-to-one check-in this week and I was like, oh, so proud of you because in her check-in she was like, I want to cut down on chocolate so that I enjoy it more. And I thought, what freaking awesome mindset of like, actually I've been having it every day and it's, it, it used to be a bit of a treat for me and now it's just not really a treat. So I'm cutting it down to enjoy it more. And I think so many people think of diet and they think over restriction and they think cutting out this food and restricting myself and unenjoyable and it's miserable. But when you reframe it as like, you know, it's something I really enjoy, so I don't want to have it all the time. So I'm going to save it for a special occasion. I don't know why I'm thinking of this, but like if you have like really nice perfume or something, you're like, well, it's very expensive and I don't want to wear it all the time. But, you know, I save it for a special occasion or like you're good cutlery not something that I have but um yeah that kind of stuff like think of the same with food and it kind of draws to the point I was making about calories on menus 
like we put so much emotion into dieting, into food choices, into calories, into yeah, I was gonna say dieting again, but but then when you put it in other contexts, you're like, no, I wouldn't overindulge all of the time. And I would, you know, be practical about the fact that if I spent all my money on Monday for the week, I'm gonna really struggle the rest of the week, much like if you overeat massively on Monday and you still wanna to stick to your calorie budget for the week, you're gonna find it really hard, right? So it's just making like sensible, rational, rational, <laughs> rational choices that and trying to take the emotion out of it, right? Remember that fat is just some excess stored energy, much like debt in your bank is just that you, you overspent a bit, right? And we can change that if we want to. And then the second part of this question is about alcohol. She says, also alcohol, need to get better at my relationship with this and understand that it's okay slash moderation, i.e., is once or twice a week a few glasses of wine okay? Yes, absolutely. And again, it comes down to choosing your indulgences and enjoying them. Like, look forward to, on a Friday night, I sit down with my partner and I have a glass of wine. If that's your thing, go for it, right? I actually went to a talk at IFS this weekend by Sohi and Ben, and they used non-negotiables in a completely different way than how I use them. But um, their premise was like, okay, what non-negotiables do you have? And like, so he was talking about how hers is a latte. She was like, I absolutely love my latte in the morning. Now I know if I cut it out, like obviously I'd cut some calories there if I was dieting. And for some people who are like, meh, I have it every morning, but it's not like, it doesn't make my day. Then you might be like, well, that's not a non-negotiable for you, right? You might just cut that out. And for you, it might be having a glass of wine on a Saturday night with your partner. You might be like, I look forward to that all week. I don't want to cut it out. Fine, don't. But you might be like, what I don't really care about, but I just eat because it's there, is like the, I don't know, salted peanut nibbles that we have with it. So you might be like, yeah, I don't mind cutting that out. Or you might just think, I, you know, I have a Starbucks every day, but I don't totally love it. And actually I could go for the lower calorie option. Or I wouldn't mind just having an Americano with like a splash of milk instead of like a milky coffee. And other people might be like, oh no, I look forward to that all day. That's, that's something that's so important to me and I get a hell of a lot of joy out of it. Cool, keep that in your diet. Those are the things you don't want to cut out. But there'll be other things that are quite a lot of calories that you're not that fussed about. Those are the things that you want to cut out or at least reduce. Okay, I'm giving you the full real podcast experience. I just nipped away for two hours for two AFM coaching calls. If you are a coach listening and you want help to build your business, head over to afmentors.com. And now I'm going to get back to the commit six questions. So actually continuing on the theme of alcohol. Oh, where? Okay, here we go. Amanda, what's your view on including alcohol when on commit six? Whenever I've managed to lose weight in the past, it's involved cutting out alcohol pretty much altogether. But I do eventually find this is a bit boring and it makes social events a bit trickier. Although maybe I just need to get over that. What's your view? If it can be included, what are the best drinks to opt for? So can it be included? Yes, absolutely. And you can literally include anything that you want, right? And it kind of comes back to choosing your indulgences. If that's like a puck yes for you, if you're like, alcohol brings me a lot in my life, I enjoy drinking it, and I don't want to have to cut that out of my life, you absolutely do not have to. But that's a choice that you need to make right so can you do it can you include it 
100% you can. Might it make it harder if that then means that A, you have calories in the alcohol, and B, you maybe make poorer food choices afterwards? Yes, but you can account for that, right? So my puck yes might be like, oh, I really want, I don't know, chips once a week. And yours might be, I really want to go for two cocktails a week or something. Fine. Um, there's nothing inherently wrong with the alcohol. It's just that it's extra calories. It doesn't really satiate you. It has a small negative impact on recovery rates, i.e. muscle protein synthesis um, attenuation. And it potentially, well, it does impact your sleep. So your sleep is poorer. You're more likely to make poorer food choices when you're drunk or when you're hungover. But if it's something in your life that you enjoy, I do not want you to take it out. Right? The whole point in Commit Six, the whole point and the reason I coach is to help people live their best lives. I was just actually talking to a client and I wrote a post about this, but I think I'm going to do maybe a full episode on it as well about like, there was two topics here. There was one that trying to stay fit and healthy in, in like the Western life when, um, when work expects so much of you and you're always meant to be on call and people can contact you at any time and you can't switch off and all this stuff. Plus you're trying to fit in diet and exercise and you have to make a huge effort to go out of your way to get some steps in, all these kind of things, right? But also the the kind of like being busy element. Now, I fully want to live my best life, right? Like I run five businesses. I'm certainly not complaining about that. I chose to do it and I absolutely love it. An unpopular opinion, but like if you choose to have kids, it's the same principle, right? Like, is it going to be harder? Yes. But you basically said, I also want this. So like you're going to have to make some compromises, but, but like if you want to live a happy, healthy life and you want to have a full life and you want to have kids and an amazing job and, a, you know, and, and health and the ability to enjoy that to the fullest, you will have to find time to exercise as well, but it doesn't need to be half as long as what you think. So like the exercise can be 20 minutes. I've just done a post about how I've not done more than like a 30 minute workout in about a year. Like I decided I wanted to, and then I just decided again, like it's just not worth it for me anymore. Like there is better ways or more useful ways for me to spend my time. And I actually just don't really wanna spend much more time than that working out. And the most surprising thing to me is the shape that I've managed to maintain, right? I don't want to blow my own trumpet, but I'm still in pretty good shape from doing like (laughs) relatively little in comparison to what I used to do. And it's just such a good example of how much of that was just kind of like fluff training of like, yeah, I did more, but it didn't really get me much more in terms of results. And this whole like law of diminishing returns and the fact that Actually, you're probably getting 80% of your results from 20% of the things that you're doing. But you need to do those 20% of things consistently. And that's so, so important. So as much as I'm saying I only ever do like 20 to 30 minute workouts, I actually can't remember a day where I missed a scheduled workout. Or if I did, I'd just do it the next day. Like, I don't miss. I'm consistent as hell. You just don't have to do as much as what people think. And actually, it's the consistency that is way more important. I'm going to, I keep going on massive tangents and not answering the questions as if that's a new thing that I've done. (laughs) Um, But I do want to get through all of these because there is a lot, right? So I'm going to keep going. Okay, Hannah, 
tips on how to reframe and not overthink events where food and movement is out of my control, e.g. a work trip away, a conference room for three days with no prior knowledge on what food will be available. Um, the, the worrying about it ahead of the event really throws me and I want to learn how I can incorporate things and have trust that I will be able to make the best decisions possible to keep moving towards my goal. What an excellent question, right? So, so many things come to mind here. One is the quote that worrying is suffering twice. Like you worrying about what food's going to be available at that conference will not change what food is going to be available at that conference. So if you don't have control over it, now I know this is easier said than done, like if you can't control it, just stop worrying. If you're anxious, have you thought about maybe just not being anxious? Or if you're stressed, just what about trying not being stressed? Like I know that that element's not helpful, but I actually think that quote to me is quite helpful. Like it kind of just hammers home, like worrying is going to do nothing for you. Worrying about something that you know is going to happen and that you have no control over does absolutely nothing for that. So first thing, remind yourself of that. Second thing is see it as a bit of a challenge. And then when you are successful, give yourself some damn credit because we're so bad at doing that. Like as an example of this, you might eat, I don't know, one biscuit with your cup of tea for a few days. And then one night you end up eating a whole packet of biscuits you give yourself absolutely no credit for all the days that you ate one biscuit and then you put the pack away. But you absolutely tear yourself to shreds about the one day where you did overeat, right? Not really fair that you're getting no credit for the moderation, but you're giving yourself a huge hard time for the one time that you do slip up. So I would make sure that you are giving yourself credit for that. Um, and don't go in expecting to fail because that's a, a sure way, way way to fail. And remember that there is always a decent option and then have a bit of perspective, like it's three days. And three day conferences are long. I just got back from a three day event and it's it's very long, but it is only three days in the grand scheme of things. And even if it was three days where you did go a bit over your calories and you didn't get as many steps in, it's not the end of the world. Saying that, there's nothing better than going for a walk pre and post conference. like. If you're going to be sat down all day, get up half an hour earlier, go for a walk. And after the conference, go for a walk around the block before dinner. Make little efforts where you can, even if that means that you're only getting 6,000 steps instead of 1,000 steps if you haven't made that effort. And you will be absolutely fine. But definitely, as a way of avoiding this kind of stress going forward, like make a promise to yourself, stick to that promise, give yourself some credit for sticking to that promise. And the next time, remind yourself, hey, well, you've done this before and um, you nailed it before, so you can nail it again. Okay, Nikki, how many people see our before pictures? Currently, I'm too embarrassed for anyone to see them, may change depending on results I've done. Uh, um, Okay, yeah, fine. Um, nobody ever sees your progress photos. And I think it's just such a good question because when I share, which is quite rare actually for Commit to Six, sometimes I do it more for the EC method, but when I share transformation photos, those are clients that have been like, We're, I'm happy for you to share these. I would never, ever just go and share photos that I haven't had approval to share. So, and there is no pressure to do that whatsoever. 
you know like it, it can motivate a hell of a lot of people and inspire many people so if you want to share them then we love that but if you don't there is absolutely no pressure like this is for you it's your results but they're so so important to take it's completely private and actually we don't even look at them unless you want us to so definitely take them but don't worry about them randomly ending up on the internet that's not going to happen okay next question ranju some random thoughts while i am resting from seeing uh oh, oh gosh poisoning um okay do nutrients really i think that's what to say escape but it says escapale escapale hmm that quickly from fruit when cut um, so when I make fresh orange juice, I have, maybe that's an exciting word that I've not really heard of. Hold on. Escapale. Escapale. Oh no, I don't know if it's a word. Escapale. It doesn't seem to be. Well, I like it. And if that, yeah, okay, right. I'll continue now. Um... Do nutrients really escape that quickly from fruit when cut? So when I make fresh orange juice, I have been told just to make it for you and everyone else can make theirs when they wake up or the nutrients will go and it's pointless. Is that true? Can it, can't, can't, that can't be right. What about packaged juice then? I've never heard that. Sounds like some, yeah, no, I'm, I wouldn't worry about that. Um, secondly, why does weight plateau? Is it, um, is it just that you are not in a deficit so you are now smaller? This is something I'm discussing with my coach Ruth, but I just wondered if there was more to it. I am worried I have to drop to 1200 or something to break the scale and then go back to my previous deficit to have maintenance. So, a couple of things here. Weight usually plateaus because of, well, actually a number of things. One, people have unrealistic expectations of weight loss. So normally it's actually not a plateau. If you're sticking to all of your targets, it's normally not that your weight has actually plateaued or more to the point, your weight has, but your fat loss hasn't, right? Because those aren't the same thing. But it can be that your weight hasn't dropped for, I don't know, a couple of days, even like a couple of weeks, and then you see a big drop. And I think the issue there is more that people expect to see the fact that they've been in a deficit that week on the scales, and that's just not realistic. The second reason can be that it is usually, so that's like, that's the number one reason for a plateau or a suspected plateau is just unrealistic expectations of weight loss. The number two reason is that you're not being consistent. Um, so often you think you are and often it's that you still think that you're doing the same things as before but you have this kind of drift so like when you first start you might be like tracking everything and really accurate and counting the little like don't know bits of oat milk that you put in your coffee throughout the day and you're really being accountable and then over time you get less and less um, you pay less and less attention to those little things and they start adding up. So you actually end up eating more calories. That's, that's one thing that happens. And then the, and that's the, the second most likely. And then the third thing that can happen or does happen when you successfully lose weight is that you become a smaller person and thus you need less calories. So 
you are right in what you're saying, but it, but people kind of take that and run with it, right? So like, let's say you lost 10 kilograms, which is a lot of weight. You would have some metabolic adaptation. Now, there is now 10 kilograms of mass less of you to maintain. That means that you will need less calories to maintain your weight. Thus, the 500 calorie deficit you were in might be closer to like a 300 calorie deficit, right? But it's not the reason that someone then needs to jump to like 1200 calories. Like the magnitude is really important here. So if you still have fat to lose, i.e. you're not like, I mean, if you needed to be in a 1200 calorie deficit, you're probably a very, very small person already and or very inactive. So obviously speak to Ruth because she will know the specifics of your situation and, and what needs to be done and what she thinks is most likely. Is it unrealistic expectations and you just need to be more consistent is it that the scales uh, sorry is it that you're you've become a little bit less adherent to your your current calories and and your behaviors have kind of like shifted a little bit which by the way is so unbelievably common i think almost everybody that happens or is it that you're now in a smaller deficit? So the point I want to make here is, let's say you started in a 500 calorie deficit, it's very unlikely that you've lost so much weight that that 500 calorie deficit is now your maintenance. Like that, that is a lot of metabolic adaptation. So I wouldn't worry about that. Um, and then the last question is, why do we do seated exercises in some standing? For example, Arnold press or shoulder press, is it meant to be harder or easier? So there are a couple of reasons for this, like generally standing exercises you'll use a bit more of your core. Um, with things like shoulder press you can also kind of move to push press which means you could lift a little bit heavier. Um, and then with seated exercises often you can lift heavier as well. So like as an example, you most people can lift heavier doing a seated shoulder press than a standing shoulder press. Now if the goal is to build your shoulders with that exercise, you might be better doing it seated, right? You can put more load through that muscle. If you wanna get your core involved a bit as well, then you might be better doing it standing. So that those are the, the main reasons, but also different exercises kind of lend more to being seated or standing. Okay, Katie, I'm really good at knowing what I'm supposed to do, but not so good at implementing action. It's like I spend so much time in knowledge and thinking about the right mindset changes, journaling, etc., that I convince myself I'm doing it, but in reality, I'm not taking action or changing anything. Not sure if that makes sense, but any tips on taking action, welcome. Thanks. I I really agree with this, and I think with the big push towards therapy, which is amazing, but we can be almost a little bit too introspective. Now I think doing things like therapy and journaling and introspecting and changing your mindset all really important but is way better if you're doing it while you take action right like don't stop i don't know your fat loss journey to be like i need to i don't know go to therapy or work i mean unless those two things are related but or like i need to just work on my mindset and then once i have this perfect mindset then i'll take action it's like saying once i'm motivated then i'll start but actually we know that it's the action that drives the motivation, right? So the two things go hand in hand and you want to do both at the same time. And you can get kind of like um, paralysis by analysis, right? Oh, maybe I'm having these, I maybe just need to do more journaling before I start. It's like, no, 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 no. 
start and do the journaling at the same time. Okay, next question. Georgina, this week's random question. I remember reading an article in a women's magazine a few years ago which concluded that the cause of cellulite is ultra-processed foods. Do you think this is accurate or is it more a case of people who eat more of these foods are more likely to have more body fat and implicitly have more cellulite? Thank you and have the bestest start to the week. Uh, one, I love your random questions and two, I think you're exactly right. I think it's more to do with the correlation between the two. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think there is a direct link if you ate ultra processed foods i mean i would avoid them as much as possible anyway for health reasons but i don't think that we could say that ultra processed foods are directly causing cellulite and there are people who don't eat very much ultra processed foods and do have cellulite and there are people who eat a lot of ultra processed foods but don't store much body fat right so do they have cellulite no um so that kind of disproves that okay lauren what is the best way slash is there a best way to progress with push-ups someone recommended to me the best way to do it is to do hands-off push-ups rather than push-ups on knees what the hell are hands-off push-ups lauren you'll have to tell me what you mean by that um i actually have a video on this somewhere um i think andy does as well so if you tag us in the group we'll share that but basically Definitely um, push-ups from your knees have a huge benefit, but often people struggle with the gap between push-ups from your knees to full push-ups. And one really good way to do that is to go down in a full push-up and then put your knees down at the bottom and push up. Um, hopefully that makes sense, but there is a video that we can show you. But that's a great goal to have. Love a push-up goal. Okay, Emma, I've turned treats into habits and now I feel like I'm owed something sweet every day. I have insulin resistance, so I need to cut out sugar as much as possible. I know exactly what I have to do, but my willpower is drained by the end of the day, so I give in. Okay, so you can still have a little bit of something sweet. And the best thing you can do to improve your insulin resistance is to exercise is to make sure that you're moving after your meals, so postprandial movement, especially if you're having something sweet. So you might still have that, I don't know, Kit Kat in the evening with a cup of tea, but then go for a walk around the block. So you're helping that blood glucose clearance um, and fat loss. So you're here, you're doing all the right things. I wouldn't um, over restrict by being like, I have insulin resistance, so I can't have anything sweet that's going to make it really hard for you to stick to your diet and then you're not going to stick to it and then you're not going to get results and actually you losing body fat is going to be the best thing for your insulin resistance so i would think about that and when it comes to willpower as well like just make sure that you're curating your environment for success and by that i mean if you're like oh i, I want to try and i don't know not eat as much sweet stuff don't have a load of it in the house like if you're like, mm, okay, well, I'll allow myself, a, I don't know, a bag of Maltesers, but force yourself to go to the shop and buy them rather than just open the cupboard, right? Then you've had to go for a bit of a walk. Then actually, you've upregulated GLUT4 transmitters to the cell surface, and you're much more likely to be able to clear glucose effectively, which is one of the key problems with insulin resistance. So you've got all these benefits, plus you're just putting that little barrier up to yourself. You know, like, how much do you actually want the bag of Maltesers? Because if you don't want it enough to get out of your house and go to the shop to get it, don't have it, 
right? If you're just having it because it's literally there and it's easy, then you probably don't want it that much. Okay, next question. Sue, are all steps created equal? In other words, how to compare a weekend day pottering about where I get 12,000 steps versus a weekday at my desk where I get seven to 8,000 steps, but it includes a fast lunchtime walk, 30 to 40 minutes at a heart rate into the fat burning slash cardio zone range on Fitbit. Side note, how useful is the heart rate function? I know you said to ignore calories. Um, heart rate on Fitbit is probably relatively accurate. It just depends what you're, what you want to do with that data. Um, I wouldn't pay too much attention, but it is a good sign that you, your energy expenditure is probably a bit harder because you're working a bit harder, right? So yeah, you're probably, let's say you did 8,000 steps pottering around versus 8,000 steps at a decent pace. You're going to burn a bit more calories doing it at a decent pace mainly because when you start to exercise at a higher um, intensity, you are less efficient. So you normally create a quite a small like um, oxygen debt to the exercise that you're doing that has to be repaid. And that means that you burn a few more extra calories. Now, it doesn't really make a huge difference. I wouldn't overthink this in the slightest. I wouldn't be like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm, it might help your fitness a little bit to be walking at a slightly higher pace. You're going to be working your heart and lungs a little bit more. But in terms of like, would that make a big difference to your energy expenditure? No, not really. You don't need to stress about that. Okay, I'm going to make this one the last one, uh, mostly because I'm so unbelievably tired after IFS this weekend that I just don't think the quality of answers are as high as they possibly could be. So I'll come back tomorrow and I'll answer the rest. But I will finish on Lauren's question. She says, it's me again, can I ask another one? Yes, Lauren, you can. I don't know if this is one for the podcast or for Commit to Six, but I have been contemplating giving up chocolate simply because I'm spending too many calories on it. First of all, that statement in itself, why not just moderation? Like, it is strange and, and I'm not picking on you, apart from I am a little bit. But most of us go from like, yeah, I'm probably doing that a little bit too much. Like people are like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm having a little bit too much Diet Coke. What I think I might do is just cut it all out. I'm like, oh, okay. Or because you enjoy it, you could just, you know, have a little bit less of it, which is really the point we all want to get to, right? Same with the alcohol chat we had before. It's actually way more impressive to me if someone's like, and obviously alcoholics aside, but if someone's like, yeah, I really enjoy alcohol. So I have it now and again, but I know that too much of it isn't good for me, and that's how I look, you know, same with chocolate, like, I'm way more impressed if someone's like, oh, I absolutely love hobnobs, so, like, a couple of times a week, I'll have one with a cup of tea, that's quite impressive, they're very Moorish, right, but if someone's like, oh, yeah, I love them, but, like, I just cut them all out, because I didn't think I could get to that point of balance with them, so I do think that we should um, encourage that a little bit more, but anyway, I shall read on. She says, it's the 90% lint dark chocolate that I can easily devour in one sitting. I'm sorry, but dark chocolate, I just can't get, no, 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 no. Also, overeating dark chocolate, no. It's just not nice. I mean, obviously everyone has their own, and obviously, you know what, it's nice to you, so fine. But I just think, mm, I don't know. Okay. I try my hardest to have one square 
and then coach myself through the fact that the first bite is the best, as Emma mentioned several times in the podcast. Someone's been listening well. But somehow I end up eating more, just one more square and then another. Even though most of the time I still finish the day within my calories, I feel frustrated that I could have spent my calories on better nutrition. I try to console myself that it's dark chocolate, which has polyphenols and low sugar, so it's not that bad, but it's still pretty much a daily dent in my calories. I guess if I remain within calories, it's not too bad, right? I know the solution is probably self-discipline, but also any tips and suggestions on how to handle this would be great. So I don't know exactly how much you're eating of it. If you're hitting all your other targets, if you're like, yeah, I'm getting in enough protein, I'm getting in loads of fruit and veg, I'm getting some good healthy fats in there, and then you're eating like, I don't know, a couple of squares or like maybe a couple more squares than what, what you'd want it to of dark chocolate. I just don't think it's that big a deal. I certainly wouldn't go from that to I'm going to cut it all out completely. So maybe you could cut it down if you chose to and if, if you wanted to. But I, I think maybe you're just being a little bit hard on yourself. And this is often a point where and this this doesn't sound like it's you lauren i'm just using this as an example but people move into like disordered eating right they're like oh everything's pretty good but i'm just going to make it that bit better and i'm just going to try and perfect this and i'm just going to try and do this this and this and th- like actually that's when people trip up that's when they go too far that's when healthy eating becomes like orthorexia like oh well i have to have everything exactly perfect that's not what this is about and it's not what you should be aiming for with your diet either if you're like do you know what? I freaking love lint dark chocolate and I want to have five squares a day and I'm hitting all my other targets. I actually don't think it's that big a deal. So that would be something to consider. But obviously it's up to you. Sometimes I think with these things, almost just to prove to yourself that like you're better than that or that you can or that it doesn't have any control over you. Like I'll, I'll give something up for like a week or 30 days or something. And then I'm like, okay, now I'll choose if I want to bring it back in. Like, I do this quite a lot with clients who have a bit of a, um, I was going to say troubled, but that makes it sound a bit extreme, but just, like, not the best relationship with alcohol, and they're like, oh, yeah, no, I would like to have it less. I'm like, okay, let's do 30 days without it, and then if you do want to reintroduce it, we'll reintroduce it. But often people get to the end of 30 days, and they're like, wow, like, I was just, like, I was just drinking for the sake of drinking. It didn't actually bring me that much joy. I actually enjoy my life more not drinking So I'm not really going to reintroduce it. So you could do the same. You could be like, I'm just going to challenge myself to like a week without it. And then I'm going to decide, like, do I want to add this back in or am I actually happier without having it? Okay, I'm going to keep this one short and sweet. I hope that was useful for everybody. If it was and you're interested in signing up for coaching, head over to esgfitness.co.uk, fill in the application form. If I'm not the right right coach for you, or if I can't help you, or if coaching isn't right for you at the moment, I will either direct you to someone who can help you, or I'll just, you know, give you some tips to get going. And if you have enjoyed this episode, or you've generally just enjoyed the podcast and you want to share it with someone, that would genuinely mean the world to me. Um, Referrals are the best way to grow the podcast, so please do send it to someone if you think it would be useful. That is all. Have an incredible day.